Um, but this morning, I want to get into a, a word we've been talking about, maturing in Christ, maturing in, in our walk of faith. And I want to give you some, some scripture this morning, a story this morning, that's really, truly key to every person's Christian walk. And I'm going to continue this message tonight. I'm not going to be able to get through it all in, in one setting. So I, I want you to come back this evening because what I'm going to give you tonight is, is really, truly uh, keys to your success in breakthrough in your life. So go ahead and just set your mind that I am coming back tonight. I am going to get those keys, and I'm going to I'm going to receive that breakthrough. Uh, but th this morning, I want to focus on this on a story that you can find in First Samuel, chapter thirty. First Samuel thirty, and we're going to talk and look at David's life around strengthening himself in the Lord, strengthening himself in the Lord. And, you know, there are two things in life that can really set a Christian back or take them completely out of the race. And those two things, one is uh, having a bitter heart, having a bitter, resentful, offended heart. That takes Christians out of, out of the race or out of their walk all the time. But the other, the other is hopelessness hopelessness or disappointment hopelessness or disappointment and that's that is what we're going to focus on this morning how do i deal with a a situation that looks hopeless that has disappointed me what do i do in order to keep my faith strong and to continue to move forward even when it looks like i can't move forward so these things are key why because we will all face times in our life where it, what we do will be dependent upon our breakthrough and so these keys are things that you need to have in your belt in order to break through that thing, break through uh, what, whatever wall, whatever uh, obstacle is set before you in order to, to, for you to be able to grab a hold of the promises of God and the destiny, the future that he has for you. So let's go ahead and pray this morning before we dig too much deeper. Father, we thank you. We thank you, first of all, for allowing us to see into David's life that you have set an example before us of a man that desired you. He went after you with his whole heart. So we pray, Father, that we can pull from the scripture this morning the things that you have put and placed in your word as an example to us, to strengthen us, to give us the understanding of what we need to do in the same situations, in the, in the situations in our life, Father. We thank you for the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon people this morning, no matter what their circumstance, no matter their situation, that the strength of God comes upon them and in them this morning in Jesus' mighty name. 1 Samuel 30. I'm going to read the scripture and then I'm going to give you a little bit of uh, background information of what had happened, but let's go ahead and read read through the story first. It says, now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone but carried them away and went their way. 
So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire. And their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Then David came to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son. Please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. Say, without fail recover all. So David went, he and the 600 men who were with him, and came to the brook Basur, where they stayed, where those stayed who were left behind. But David pursued, he and 400, for 200 stayed behind, who were so weary they could not cross the brook Basur. Then they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David, and they gave him bread, and he ate. And they let him drink water, and they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. So when he had eaten, his strength came back to him, for he had eaten no bread nor drunk water for three days and three nights. Then David said to him, To whom do you belong, and where are you from? And he said, I am a young man from Egypt, servant of Amalekite, and my master left me behind because three days ago I fell sick. We made an invasion of the southern area of the Cherethites in the territory which belongs to Judah and of the southern area of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, can you take me down to this troop? So he said, swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this troop. And when he had brought him down, there they were, spread out over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. Then David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives, and nothing of theirs was lacking, neither small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered all. Now I want to stop there. And you see in, in, verse, in verse 6, at the end of verse 6, it says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now, I just want to back up for a moment because there's so much in this one key scripture that gave David the breakthrough because this is the key scripture that shifts the whole outcome of this story. And just to give you a little bit of background, because I don't have time to read 10 chapters this morning, but if you go back into, into, you know, mid-1 Samuel, you find that 
most of the story that everybody knows, David and Goliath, and of course that's the beginning of him uh, beginning to, to show that God has anointed him for something greater. And he takes on Goliath, and Goliath is, you know, the, the giant that is tormenting them and, and just agonizing them and bringing uh, just words against the of intimidation against Israel. And, and they're backing down because they, they don't see any way out. And David comes and he takes this, this huge uh, giant and, and knocks him down with a slingshot, with a rock, and cuts his head off and, and, and you know, He's, he's the hero. He's the hero of the day. And so it looks like, wow, David, who is this guy? You know, who's this guy? And it's like all of a sudden, you know, fame uh, has come his way. And even Saul's like, whose son is this? And so he ends up bringing David into his own house because Saul had already turned his back on, on God. Saul had already turned and decided that he was choosing the praises of men and the, the accolades of men and pleasing men over pleasing God. And so God had already told him, I'm withdrawing the, the country from you. I'm withdrawing the kingdom from you because you have turned your heart away from me. And I'm going to give it to, you know, a man after my own heart. And so obviously this David has been anointed. Samuel had already anointed him as, as king at, at a young age. And so he's coming into the courts of, of this King Saul now, and he's beginning to learn the ways of kingship and beginning to understand some of this, uh, what, what you do as a king. But guess what? David is sent out on many campaigns, many war campaigns. And he kills so many people, so many enemies. The Philistines were a constant thorn to them. But he's killing them left and right. And so people begin to sing songs about him. They've, the women begin to write songs about how Saul has killed his thousands, but David has tens, thousands, tens of thousands. And they're singing all throughout the land about David. And it, it puts such a, a hatred in Saul's heart for David because David now becomes his threat. And so instead of repenting, instead of uh, desiring the things of God, he has a hatred for David because David represents the very thing that he should be. And so he begins to, at moments in time, in fact, let's go ahead and go there because I want you to see the difference. Let's go to 1 Samuel 18. I'm just kind of setting up a little bit of groundwork before we get there. 1 Samuel 18, and I'm going to read 6 through 12. It says, Now it happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. They're meeting King Saul, but they're going to sing about David. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. And it happened on the next day 
that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied, get that, he prophesied inside the house. So David played with, sorry, played music with his hand as at other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but he had departed from Saul. And so I want you to see that for a second because Saul also had a moment of distress. And what he chose to do with it, what did he prophesy? Because I want you to understand that you can prophesy under a wrong spirit as well. He said, I will pin David to the wall. Do you think that came from the Lord? But the Bible said that he prophesied, right? See, when, when the word is using prophesy or he prophesied, it's not always, most instances, it is under the influence of the Holy Spirit. But in this case, he's not operating. He's under a distressing spirit. And he's prophesying out of his distress. He's prophesying out of his fear. He's prophesying out of his frustration and his anger and the, the fear that this boy here, this kid, this younger man is going to take my kingdom. The women, they're already winning the people's hearts. He's already got songs written about him. He's already winning the hearts of the people. There's nothing left to give him except for the kingdom. And see, the thing is, many times we can be in situations where all of a sudden the very thoughts coming into our head are thoughts that have been generated from fear, from frustration, from feeling like I have hit a place where I don't know what to do. It's just hopeless. It's, it's I can't move forward. I don't know where to go. And we have a decision to make. We have a decision whether or not to strengthen ourselves in the Lord or to remain in that place and prophesy the lies of the enemy. Now, obviously, we know it didn't end up well for Saul. And he wasn't going to trump what God had already put in motion. God had already ordained David to be king. But I do believe that if Saul would have repented and if he would have said, Lord, I am sorry, my heart has not been right towards you. I, I repent and I choose to follow you from this day out. I believe God would have honored him in that position. And even though he would have still given David the kingdom, but I believe that he would have honored Saul if he would have turned his heart because he did it. He, he's even with Ahab, one of the most wicked kings, he said to the prophet, have you seen Ahab? He's repented. I mean, you know, it's like Jonah, you know, it's like the Jonah situation <laughs> and, and Nineveh, who is a wicked, ungodly nation. And Jonah doesn't want to go there. And God is saying, look, they're repenting. They're repenting with sackcloth and ashes. They're turning to me. And Jonah's ticked off about it. He's mad. But God sees a repentant heart. He sees a heart that is changing for him. But Saul refused to do that. Saul refused to repent. He refused to change. You never see in Scripture where he chooses to repent before the Lord. He did say, oh, uh, I'm sorry, Samuel. Uh, you know, can't you just bless me before the people? Can't you just, uh, because it was all about man. It was all about the praises of man and what man thought. It was never about what God thought. 
And so his, his situation never changed. What he got was, was anger, frustration. He lived his whole days, all of his days, in fear of David. In fact, it, it consumed his life. Have you ever seen someone consumed with something? It's like they just can't think of anything else. It's like their whole focus gets, gets consumed in this one thing. And it's like it, it can, it, that can be a good thing if it's zeal for the Lord, but it can also be a, a, a very bad thing and a destructive thing. If somebody goes after the wrong thing and it's fueled by the wrong motive. And that's exactly what was happening to Saul. But I'll tell you, we all have the potential or the decision in moments of frustration, what influence are we going to allow to motivate us? Because there's not a person in here that will not face a disappointing moment. Now, I'm not saying God hasn't given you the victory. God can give you the victory. But what I'm saying is because we do not know from the beginning to the end, we don't always know everything. So there can be things in our life that look very difficult, look impossible, even though it's possible with God. But in our finite mind, in our uh, carnal mind, we don't see it. And so we'll, we'll think that's the end and we'll face disappointment. We'll face hopelessness. And so it's in those moments we have to choose to strengthen ourselves in the Lord, to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. So let's go to this scripture for a minute because you, you have this time where, where David, Saul's after David, and he befriends Jonathan, Saul's son. So he's very close with Jonathan. They're like kindred spirits. They're like in one, one spirit. They're together. But now, now David has to run. Now he's on the run. And the very man that kind of brought him in to mentor him is now the one that's on his tail, trying to kill him, chasing him through the desert with a spear. Because there's even a place where it says that Jonathan strengthened David in the Lord. So there's times when we have people around us that will strengthen us in the Lord. And in fact, if you look at another place, when David, uh, if you know the story of Abigail and, and Nabal, see, Abigail became David's wife. Nabal was a very foolish man. But, it, but Abigail came to David because of some of the foolish things that, and decisions that Nabal made but Abigail came and what she did was she prophesied over David if you read through that I'm not going to go through it today but she prophesied over David she even began to declare the great kingdom he was going to have she began to declare how great a man he was she began to declare that that you don't want this thing this you don't want to come after my husband and kill him and then this thing be hanging on you and it be something that that hangs on you and your kingship for the rest of your life. Let God take care of it because God is for you. And she prophesies to him. But in this situation, well, let me continue. So from that point, he's still on the run. He's still on the run. He, he, he finds a, a city that he fought for, and they allow him to come in and all of his men. But the next thing you know, they're going to turn him over to King Saul, too, when King Saul comes. So he's been rejected by King Saul. He's been rejected by another city. They're in Israel. 
So now he's fleeing away and out of the country, out of their land, to the enemy, to the Philistines, the very ones that he fought. And he begins to build a relationship with one of the kings there. For a year and a half, almost a year and a half, he's there. He's living in the enemy's camp. And he's going and he's, he's attacking and raiding places. And, and this king in him, he begins to trust David. And, and he's like, why don't you go to war with us? We're going to war with Israel. Now, David is an Israelite. He's like, we're going to war with Israel. Come with us. But he gets there, and he's, he's ready there on the battle lines in the camp with, with all the Philistines. And then the other Philistine lords say, what is he doing here? He could turn on us in the middle of the battle. We don't want him here. So they reject him. So he's been rejected by his own. He's been rejected by his king. He's been rejected by uh, uh, an Israelite city. Now the enemy is even rejecting him. He's pretty much been rejected all the way around. When your enemy rejects you, that's pretty bad. And so they, they're going back home, and this is where this story picks up. And he's, he's at Ziklag. You know, they're expecting, okay, well, we just won't fight. We'll just we'll go back home, and then they get back home, and they see the smoke. They see the smoke. They see none of their families there. Everything is empty. Their homes are burned down. They have nothing, nothing. And it says that the men wept until they had no more power to weep. Now, these are mighty men. you got to understand, these are, not, these are not like cuddle bears. These are mighty men of war. They are very practiced at raiding communities and bringing home the spoils. These are tough men. And they get there, and they have no families, and everything they owned is completely burned to the ground. And they weep until there's no strength left in them. But how, how many know that when that happens many times, people need to find somebody to blame? So what do they do? They turn on David. The very man that has sheltered them all throughout the years, because he's been running for about 10 years. All through these years, he's fed them, he's sheltered them, he's taught them war. Because you got to understand, David was a man of war. In fact, he, he says and ascribes that God was the one that taught my fingers to war and to battle. And he teaches these men because these men were people that could not pay their debts. They were distressed. They were distraught men. They were the vagabonds of the country. They were the ones that, that the country would have rejected. So David's running with, with a lot of rejects, and now the rejects have rejected him, and they're blaming David. This is a bad situation to be in. I mean, once you really get it in and, and think about this story, you're like, man, it looks like the bottom of the pit. Like, I have reached the bottom. This is it. This is the slum. Now, what does David do? Because the men are now talking of stoning him. They've not just rejected him. They're talking of taking his life. They're talking about stoning him because they're so hurt. In fact, that word grieved, it says they were grieved. The better translation for that is bitter. 
It's the word mara, bitter. They were bitter. What happens when somebody gets bitter? They want to blame someone else for their misfortune. We've got to blame somebody. It's got to be somebody's fault because it's going to make me feel better to blame someone other than just feeling grief. So they begin to blame David. They're so bitter in their heart, so they blame their leader. They blame the one guy that has shepherded them and kept them and taught them and fed them and corralled them all of this time and brought them into places where they're winning spoil after spoil after spoil. He's made them well. Was that the speaker? Can you check that out? Make sure that wasn't an outside thing. That was the speaker? Okay, I didn't know something hit the side of the church or something. <laughs> it's like, what was that? So David is, is in a place where it says that, that he's distressed. He's greatly distressed. Well, what does that mean? Because really when you look at this word, this isn't an emotion. I know it sounds like it, greatly distressed. That sounds like an emotional word to us. But a better word for that is cramped, to be tight, to be narrow where there's no way out. Have we ever felt like that? We kind of have an expression, like between a rock and a hard place. And we'll say that, like, I just feel like I'm between a rock and a hard place, but it's nowhere near what David felt. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, we'll say it because, well, you know, I'm just between a rock and a hard place. I, I can't attend both of the events. I need to pick one or the other, <laughs> you know, and we'll use it for things like that. But David was at a place where they were looking to take his life. In fact, when you think about it, everything was the complete opposite as what had been declared over his life. Do you ever feel like that? When the things that have been declared over your life, the things from the word of God that, that you're declaring over your life, the scripture says that you should be this, this prophetic word that you were given, and, and this place that you're supposed to be going to and moving to, and, and it's like everything is the complete opposite. He's supposed to be king. He's had a word. He's been anointed to be king. But he's on the run. Kings don't run, but he's running. He's running for his life. His palace has become a cave. He's living in a wilderness from place to place to place. He has no home. He has no palace. He's on the run constantly. And these men are men that are bad off. They can't pay their debts. They're they're, they were already distressed before they even came to be with David. They were already in hardship. They were already seeing hard times. And now everything looks like it's upside down. Everything. And it could be very easy. And even in our lives, there can be things that are, it's very tempting to speak out what's around you. Because it looks the very opposite of what God's declaring over your life. But it says that he strengthened himself. This word greatly distressed is not an emotion. It is a position. 
It was a position. I am restricted everywhere I turn. There's no way out. I have run. I have run. I have run. And this is where it's found me. I am not only in the wilderness now, but I am now in the enemy's camp. And the enemy is against me. And my own people are against me. My own men that I have fought with and been in battle with and have been the closest with are against me. There is no Jonathan in my life. There's no Abigail in my life. There's no one in my life that's speaking into me now. What do I do? And this is a moment that God will sometimes allow us to be in a moment of being alone because we need to depend upon him. And we need to know where our strength is because it's not in the Abigail and it's not in the Jonathan and it's not in the people around us. Some of my closest moments with the Lord were points in time, moments in time. When even though, yeah, physically there's people around me. But what they had to say didn't really hold any value or any validity with what I was facing. Does that make sense? You ever, you ever have somebody try to cheer you up and what they're saying is just not even going to touch where you're at? Sometimes it's because they don't know what to say. I mean, we find this oftentimes in, in funerals. You know, people say things that are, can be quite stupid, honestly, in funerals. Well, God needed an, another flower in his garden. That's not scriptural, first of all. And second of all, that's, that's dumb. People don't go to heaven to be flowers. And, and people are trying to, to find something. And I don't know if they go to the, the Hallmark section of the cards and they, they find something and then they go to, I don't know. It's just it's a lot of dumb stuff. God, need, God needed an angel. God needed that person more than you. No, he didn't. The, the, none of those things are true. And that's the thing. We'll hear things sometimes and we'll be like, that doesn't come from me at all. That doesn't help. Why? Because it's not truth. Or, second of all, it sounds so stupid, and now I'm mad at God because he wanted a flower? That's stupid. And then it sets people's mindsets. If they don't know who God is, then they're angry at God. And there are times in our life when people speak, they don't know what to say. They don't know how to bring peace to you. They're, 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 the things that they're saying have no truth or no foundation to them. And so we're left feeling empty. We're left feeling like I still don't know where to turn or what to do. And many times the problem is we're running around trying to find a word from somebody, trying to find peace from someone else, trying to find somebody that can speak into our life and make us feel better. But there are moments in time when God wants us to be with him. And he, he wants us to find our strength in him. You see, David was on the verge of a breakthrough. He didn't know his breakthrough was coming in the next day or so. He was, Saul was getting ready to die. In fact, the whole shift was happening. Saul was, was out finding a witch to, to tell him, you know, what was going to happen in this battle. And, you know, he's getting ready to die. Jonathan and all of his sons are getting ready to die. And, and David's getting ready to take the throne. 
In fact, the very battle David would have been fighting him would have been against Saul and Jonathan. Now, if that would have went down, you know, he's, he's upset because, you know, the Philistines didn't trust him. And they rejected him and turned on him. And he's like, have I not been with you for over a year? Have I not been fighting with you? You know, it's kind of like a slap in the face. But they're like, we don't, we don't trust him. Send him home. And the thing is, the very battle he was to fight in was the battle that Saul was going to die in and Jonathan was going to die in. Now, how do you think David, after time and time again of sparing Saul's life because he would not touch the Lord's anointed, and then to be in that battle and see that and then be crowned as king, how do you think that would have set with him? It would have been difficult to, to come into kingship that way because it was hard enough for him to come into it. He wept and he grieved when Saul was taken out. Because he kept his heart pure. He did not allow offense and bitterness to enter his heart. And the whole time Saul's chasing him, he kept his heart pure. In fact, there were times when, when uh, one of the men that was with him, you know, the mighty men of war, was with him. And they snuck down into the, the camp of Saul and all his men are asleep around him. And, and they get into the camp because God had put, him in a, put the whole camp into a deep sleep. And they get into the camp, and his, his uh, warrior that's with him, his right-hand man, is, is like, now's our chance. God has delivered him into our hands. You know, sometimes people can say things, and they mean well, but it's not what God wants. And if we listen to the wrong voice, it can take us down the wrong path. And then he sets himself up on a throne that God did not put him on yet. So we have to be careful the voice we're listening to because he was a close voice to David, very close. And it would have been easy to say, yeah, you know, you're right. In fact, I don't even have to be the one to kill him because my friend here who's saying, now's our chance. God has delivered him to us. Look, God's making them sleep so that we can kill him. Just give me the chance, David. Just tell me, give me the word and I'll plunge him through and I won't have to do it twice. And David says, no, you're not going to touch the Lord's anointed. He'll be taken out some other way by God. We leave it in God's hands. How do you think he would have, was able to make that decision? Because he had determined in his heart purity. He had determined in his heart he was not going to have any root of bitterness. He was determined in his heart not to be defiled and not to allow any impurity in. Because in that moment of time, when something er, or, or a comment is staring you in the face and your wheels start to turn, you got to make a decision just like that. But he'd already resolved in his heart. I stand for God, and God takes care of the situation, not me. So he's in this moment of strengthening himself in the Lord. And the other people around him are no longer in a place where they're speaking to him. In fact, they're speaking against him. It's very hurtful. It's very hurtful. But his destiny and his purpose is dependent upon this moment. In fact, in order for him to take the throne, 
he had to learn to minister to himself. This was a test. Was he going to be able to depend upon the Lord in the difficult time when everybody's back was turned against him? Would he run to the Lord or would he run to people? Would he stay strong in the Lord or would he give up? It was a moment in time when, when it truly was a test. This was like the, fi- the finality, the final test of them all. The, the most pressure. He was under so much obligation. I mean, when you're taking care of 600 men in the desert, that is not an easy job because they're depending upon you at every, every turn to supply, to keep them fed, to, to make sure you're making all the right decisions. It's a huge responsibility, and he's got this obligation upon him. But his destiny was dependent upon this moment, and he didn't know he was right there at his breakthrough. You may not know that you're right there at your breakthrough today. There may be a moment in time where you don't realize you're right there at your breakthrough, and it's dependent upon you strengthening yourself in the Lord, strengthening yourself in the Lord. Now, I'll get in tonight about how to strengthen yourself in the Lord. But I do want to say that it's interesting because it wasn't until he strengthened himself in the Lord that he got the answer of whether or not they would overcome. And here's why. Because anxiety, depression, in fact, the word of God says in Psalms, it says anxiety causes depression. But a good word heals a man. A good word will bring a person joy. But like I said, what is that good word? It's got to be truth. It can't just be, you know, some made up, good word because it's not going to last very long. It's got to be something that has strength, something that has a foundation, something that's truth. And so David's in this place of anxiety, depression, but he strengthens himself in the Lord through a good word. But guess what? He has to do it to himself because there is no Abigail. There is no, no Jonathan to speak the good word to him. And we'll get into that later this evening. But the thing is, it wasn't until he strengthened himself. After he strengthens himself, then he says to Abiathar, go get the ephod. He says to the priest, go get the ephod and bring it to me. And he inquires of the Lord, will I overtake them? Do I go after them? And the Lord says, yes, and you will recover all. But his answer did not come. His solution did not come in the depression. His solution did not come in the moment of anxiety. His solution did not come when when all of the pressure was caving down. It came after he strengthened himself in the Lord. So there are choices that we have to make in strengthening ourselves in order to find the answer, in order to find the solution. We have to strengthen ourselves. It has to be that process. Why? Because God doesn't move in depression. God doesn't move in anxiety. God doesn't move in the fruits of the enemy. 
God doesn't move in anger. He doesn't move in, in times of stress. He moves through his fruits. He moves through goodness. He moves through love and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness and self-control and joy. In fact, in, the, in, the, in Leviticus, you had Aaron, the high priest, that loses two of his sons in one day because they brought strange fire into the temple. And when they brought that into the temple, strange fire, fire that, that God did not ordain, when they brought that into the temple, they were consumed with fire right at that moment. And God told Aaron he could not weep, he could not grieve for his sons because he was in the court, he was in the, the, court, in the presence of God. There is no grief in the presence of God. There's no grief. There's only joy in the presence of God. So in order to come to the place where we find our, our answer, our solution, we can't stay in the enemy's camp. Now, I understand we all face that. We all face the feelings. I get that. We, I face those feelings. I have choices to make. And it's a choice of choosing to move out of the, out of the situation or the mindset. I choose not to allow this to overtake me. I choose not to, to operate in this filling. I choose to operate in the Lord and in the fruit of his spirit. And when I do that, that's when answers come. That's when, when it's like the mind is, is open for him to begin to, to move and to deliver to you the answer of what you need, the solution of what you need. But it doesn't come in the moment of, of crying. And it doesn't come, in, in fact, even in these moments, these moments that I'll talk about this evening, it's not about praying, Prayer is to request or to spend time with the Lord. But prayer is not what, is not the avenue. Yes, we can ask things of God in prayer. He tells us to. But to come to a breakthrough moment, to get the tide to turn, to get the situation to turn, it must be through prayer joy and it must be through the fruits that God has ordained not what the enemy has ordained and the situation that's before you will be turned completely in Jesus name when you strengthen yourself in the Lord what did he have to do he had this he had to guard his heart and he had to guard his ears because even in that moment when his right hand man is telling him something that sounds good what is that? That's that seed going into your ear, and you have to decide, am I going to let that into my heart or not? So he's got to guard his ear and guard his heart, because that's the beginning of it. Guard his ear and guard his heart. What's coming into the ear? Who's speaking? Because if it's not the right voice speaking, and it's not the voice, yes, that sounded like an encouraging word. Just take them out. Here's your moment. That sounds encouraging. Yes, my troubles are over. This is it. Thank you, God. You have done this for me. But see, David knew better. And he's like, I got to do this God's way, not, 
not my way. I got to do it God's way. And he protected his heart from the wrong seed coming in because out of the heart is where life flows. Out of the heart, either life or destruction. And we saw what Saul did. Saul caused destruction to come out of his life. But David, David was choosing life to come out of his heart. And that is where it flows from. The virtue of life comes out of the heart. It's also the place where faith is sowing and growing. Faith is sowing into the heart, and it's growing in the heart. So faith, the, in order for David to see past that situation, the hopelessness and the despair, he had to strengthen himself in the Lord and begin to see the faith for the other side. God, I don't know how. I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know the, the mechanism or the, the maneuvers that's going to have to happen here, but I believe in you. I choose to believe in your word. I choose to believe in what you say, and I am allowing faith to grow on the inside of me. I'm allowing my eyesight to see in faith what's going to come to pass. But you got to guard your heart, and you got to guard your ear. What's coming in? Is it the wrong voice? Then you got you to gotta shut that off. In fact, it might mean that you have, you know how sometimes we say that men have selective hearing, right? Well, you sometimes got to have selective friends, selective friendships. There may be lots of people that you're around, and there may be people that you minister to, but not everyone is supposed to be your best bud. Because if they're, if they're pulling you in the wrong direction and if they're saying the wrong things to you and they're taking you down the wrong path, then you got to recognize and discern that because nobody else is going to do that. That's only up to you. Nobody else is going to cut off that bad voice in your life and come in and protect you from that. Only you can do that. Minister Lee Hill, you can go ahead and come to the keyboard. Selective friendships, selective people in your life. There are moments in life when we need to guard our heart and guard who's speaking to us, guard the words that are coming in, and replace it. Replace it with the right voices. Replace it with the right truths. Replace it with God's word. Replace it with, with the thing that's going to grow you and advance you. Replace it with, with the things that are going to give you faith and a hope in a future because God says, that's what I've come to give you to give you life more abundantly. I didn't come to take life from you. I didn't come to cause destruction. I didn't come to take things from you and to make you despair and find your place, find a, a place where you're greatly distressed. I've come to give you life. In fact, I mean, you know, even singing that song of freedom, it's like, do you believe? Do you believe that you're free? Do you know that you're free? It has nothing to do with your circumstances. David was not king. He was anointed to be king. You're anointed to be free. You may not be feeling it yet. David wasn't feeling the crown on his head, the robe. He wasn't feeling the palace. He wasn't feeling. He was running. He was hiding. He was trying to find a way out of this situation. But it doesn't matter what's going on around us. What matters is what God has said over us. It is by the blood of Jesus Christ that you are set free. It is by the blood of Jesus Christ that you are delivered. You just have to believe it. 
it's not up to you to figure out how it happened, but it happened. You're free. It happened. You just have to believe it because until you believe it, you'll never walk in it. And once you believe it, then you'll begin to walk as though you believe it. And then you'll begin to step right into it. Because you get there by faith. You get there by believing it. So you step into the destiny that God has for you, the freedom that he has for you, the health that he has for you, the prosperity that he has for you. How? Through faith. By believing even in the midst of the impossible, even in the place of greatly distressed, but God, I choose to strengthen myself in you. And Chris, you'll have to come back tonight for the rest of that. Go ahead and stand to your feet. So glad for what God has done in my life and many of your lives. In fact, if, if you've asked Jesus Christ to be Lord of your Savior, you, you are set free whether you realize it or not. It's just getting the revelation of it. It's like the elephant that, that uh, was tied up to a stake for a long time. And he couldn't move from that place. He knew the, the vicinity that he could go around. And so then one day when he gets loose, he doesn't know it. And he just keeps walking in that same uh, circumference that he had always been in. And he didn't come out of it. Why? Because he'd been trained by that chain. And that chain had kept him in that place. And as far as he knew or understood he was still chained, even though that chain was laying there on the ground off of his foot. So he kept walking the same way. He kept moving the same way. He didn't change directions. And I'm here to tell you this morning that some of you got to change directions. Some of you have got to believe that Christ has set you free. And you need to begin to believe outside of the situation. You need to begin to believe beyond what the situation is telling you and what Christ has done for you. Why don't you go ahead and bow your heads this morning. Father, I thank you so much for Christ that has set us free. I thank you for every life in here this morning. Lord, our heart's desire is to do and be everything that you have declared over us, to walk in the freedom and the deliverance that you have paid for. You have redeemed us from the curse of the law, so we're no longer bound by it. And I thank you, Father, that every person in here today is going to begin to walk in another manner of strengthening themselves in the Lord, building upon 
the foundation of Jesus Christ in your word and what your word says over them. I thank you, Lord, that you are breaking things open, that as they are walking in faith and they are walking in truth, things begin to bust down and walls begin to be broken in Jesus' name.